Thank you for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please subscribe to our weekly Boston Bruins Hockey Talk on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify Podcasts. We'd certainly appreciate it if you give us show a five-star rating along with a written review. You can also subscribe to our official YouTube channel for a video version of our weekly program. If you'd like to support our show financially, please go to our blackandgoldhockey.com website and click on our affiliated fanatics banner before shopping online. Another way to financially support our weekly program is to become a Patreon member to be eligible for weekly Boston hockey prizes and monthly Boston Bruins hand-signed jersey giveaways. Please go to patreon.com slash podcast and donate just $1 per episode. Many thanks for the continued support and enjoy the show. And episode 329 of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. You can sign up now at fanduel.com slash Boston. Claim your no-sweat bet up to $1,000 on your first bet for new depositors. And it's a pleasure to to have at it once again, although we wish it was better circumstances, as this is the first game of the... uh, 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 Let's call it the postseason, but the post-postseason as the season's now over for the Boston Bruins. Uh, joining us, as always, is Mark Allred. And happy to have uh, now officially full-time with us a third uh, hostess, if you will. Grace Roberts joins us. Uh, Grace, nice to have you back. Uh, it was great last week, and now you're sort of with us full-time, so it's great to have you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks, guys. Um, Mark, how was your week despite the situation? Yeah, it was uh, it was a tough one. You know, it was a tough pill to swallow for myself and Bruins Nation throughout, and justifiably so that some people are, you know, just wondering where we're we going from here. You know, I mean, we had a great, unbelievable season, regular season, but the playoffs are a total different one, and and they, frankly, in my opinion, didn't show up to a to a team that was lower in in the seeding and that wanted it a lot more. You know, and uh, and frankly. Uh, out coached, but uh, other than that, I've just been trying to stay as positive I can on the Twitter machine. I know a lot of people are freaking out and so on, but it's good interaction and so on. We've been doing really good on the Discord and so on, uh, which people should uh, join. Please join, uh, and I'll have the uh, the live link in the show notes if you want to join up. So, um, yeah, just uh, just a, a a week of um, uh, you know remembering what was and and the uh, ultimate failure. 
Yeah, uh, I found myself watching Red Sox baseball, and I'm sitting there going, "What am I, what am I doing with my life? Is this where it's come down to? I can't believe I'm doing this." Um, Grace, how about you? How was your uh, How was your week? And uh, yeah, and I, Grace, also tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're um, you're sort of from Maine. I did not know you went to Michigan. Go Big Blue! I love Michigan. Um, but tell us a little a little bit about yourself, and and let the audience get to know you a little better. Yeah, um, I'm from Maine originally. I was born and raised here. Um, I went to the University of Michigan for undergrad. Um, I'm currently a law student. I'm actually going to school to um, become a sports agent. So hopefully, uh, you know, that's uh, it's coming up. Um, but I, awesome. uh, yeah, so I go to I go to school in North Carolina now. That's why I'm down there. I have to admit, it's been really not. I have not loved being surrounded by Hurricanes fans. Um, they are way too happy right now. And that really bothers me. Um, especially when I don't have anything to say back. Um, but yeah, so I've sort of bounced all over the place. Um, but new England's my home, kind of how I, uh, have always been a a Bruins fan. My dad's the one who always had me watching growing up. So, um, yeah, that's basically the rundown of me. I'm very, uh, excited to be here. It's sort of a, a dream come true to be able to just talk about the Bruins and, and, um, talk to other people and interact with people who love it as much as I do. So definitely um, looking forward to the day when I can come back to New England and not be around who are right now rabid Hurricanes fans. Um, but, you know, for the time being, it's good. It's warm. So can't complain. Yeah. Tell them to get their own. Tell them to get their own thing. I heard they, they stole the Blink-182 song from Colorado. Yeah. It's like the Whalers jerseys aren't yours. The Blink-182 is not yours. Like there's just a bunch of posers down there. Get no. your own thing. What that's that's losers? that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I know I went to this year, I went to the game the Bruins had down there. It ended up being a shootout win. Jeremy Swayman was in goal and Jake DeBrus scored the the winner in the shootout and uh, it was their Whalers night. So they were all wearing their Whalers jerseys. And I was like, <sighs> that's not for you. I mean, it, you yours. know, you know, whatever, whatever. You know what? Hurricanes fans are having their fun right now. I know that I was insufferable all season for all of my friends. So maybe this is what I get. <laughs> can I, can I add something real quick to uh, uh, Grace's arrival? Um, look at us, look at us as a show. We got Steve Forney over here, radio voice and, and teaches this stuff on, on a daily basis to young kids, inspiring journalists and radio personalities. And now we have an aspiring sports agent on this program. Holy shit. This fucking show was growing. I love it. Love it. Love it. Look at me. I'm just a mean, like a low grade writer and, and I'm here in like, you know, greatness and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So a welcome grace. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I didn't know that you wanted to be a sports agent and you're going to school for that. So it's so just, it kind of like landed on my lap right now. I'm just like, Holy shit, this is freaking awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Oh, good. How much, how much longer do you have grace? I have two more years um, of law school, and then uh, depending on if I would like to, it doesn't always help. Sometimes they like when you have a master's in sports admin, so I might do another year to get that. Um, but if I can get a, you know, a, a, if I can get out quicker, that's the that's the the hope there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, awesome. good for you. That's pretty awesome. And yeah, if you have any extra credits you can throw my way, let me know because I still have to take a couple for my official teacher's license. So nice. What a pain in the ass that is. One more, Steve. Yeah. Are you a Michigan guy because they have the same colors as Quinnipiac? Uh, no, I so I'm kind of a I'm tool, busted. I liked uh, I always liked Michigan growing up because I loved the fight song. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, I, I know, get it. I get and it. in Western Mass, we don't have, you know, UMass, we had one run with UMass basketball where they were good, but that was, that's it. We don't have really any college, anything. So, uh, and I like Notre Dame because of their fight song, but then I realized every poser also liked Notre Dame. It's the second time I've used <laughs> the word poser. Um, uh, so no, I just kind of stuck with Michigan and I've watched, you know, the guys play the quarterback play there with no shoelaces and, uh, who didn't tie his shoes. And, you know, it's, they're not, they almost, they came close this year, but <clears throat> yeah, I was just yeah. been a Michigan guy. So that's funny. I'm messing with you, bud. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, here we are post-mortem uh, Mark initial reactions to, um, you know, what was a pretty big letdown on Sunday. Not a good pill to swallow at all. And you can absolutely agree with most of the, um, the players in the exit interviews like Charlie McAvoy, you know, he's just saying that they were, they were shocked, you know, it's just an unbelievable year just to come into a close like that. And, you know, so many, uh, so many fans got built up for that and ultimately let down and uh, you know, it happens in sports. And I, I totally understand that. Um, But there's, it was just so many, I think mental problems throughout that lineup and even on the bench that they just weren't prepared for certain things that the Florida Panthers were going to do to them. Uh, and, and that's in the physical factor too. It's like, where was the physicality? Where was that playoff style hockey that everybody was telling me, you know, um, it really wasn't there. I, and that's just my opinion. I know it was kind of exciting for people. Obviously it was exciting for Jim Montgomery, you know, he, he thought it was a great series and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, 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 I have to disagree with him and, and we'll talk about him later on, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a tough one to swallow. Um, and, and we talked about it before we, we, uh, recorded that it just had that, it, I didn't have the feeling, but I was like, what if, you know, it, the Tampa Bay lightning Columbus blue jackets back in the day, they got the record, they get 62 wins and they, and they got plowed by, by, um, a team that was lower in the seating. So it kind of like was like, it could happen, but I'm not thinking that way, but it ultimately it fucking came right back and hit us all in the face. So, um, you know, is it record-breaking seasons that we need to stay away from? <laughs> I mean, do we have to, like, suck and, like, just get in the wild card now? Or, you know, or just don't even do anything with the President's Trophy? It's like now the narrative is that that's the curse. And, you know, it's unfortunate. But I don't want to babble on any further. So, Grace, I'll be your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the, you know, it's one thing to lose – in the playoffs and lose your first series. I mean, last year was obviously disappointing, um, but it's a whole other thing. I feel like to have the season that we had and then to have to accept this, this letdown, especially when I think we all were, you know, sitting here thinking we were going to be watching for another month. Like it's just, it's very, uh, you know, and I'll, you know, all credit to, to Florida. I think we all know that they are very good, especially now seeing how they're doing um, against the Leafs, but you know, we, I think we all know, like it wasn't, it wasn't the Bruins hockey that we'd been watching. It was, it was, it wasn't our best and, and it sucked for it to end the way that it did. But um, yeah, I think that that's the hardest part is the just like dichotomy of, of the high of the season straight down to the, to the low of getting out in the, the first round to a, a team that didn't even clinch a playoff spot till game like 80, you know, so tough to swallow, but I'm hoping that, you know, now that it's been a week, you know, maybe the next stage of grief is coming where we, you know, get ready to go and, and get excited. So, 
Yeah, I I agree with with both of you uh, when you talk about Florida because I don't think Florida, I, the Florida is better than an eight seed, and Florida is much better than that Columbus team that beat Tampa, um, and they won the President's Trophy last year. So this isn't a team that that just sucks, right? I mean, this is a team. If the Islanders came in here and did that, we'd be having a totally different discussion, I think, or even a team like Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, I. I I do think that a lot of the things that frustrated us during the year, and there weren't many of them, but the things that frustrated us during the year were glaring through seven games. And, and this is sort of where I have an issue with Montgomery because there's so many, he's gotten a lot of heat. And, you know, besides the fact that I told them to play Jeremy Swayman in game four, just in case he planned to play in game seven and it wouldn't be his first game. Not that I said that because I did, um, but Fact. did he, did he ever change the power play? when it was so bad, did he ever change the, the zone entries, which were bad for the last two and a half months of the season? And, and I think fans, fans say, well, he made changes. Well, he made changes to the roster. He didn't make any adjustments. Those are two different things. And what I've been telling people is if you own a restaurant and your food sucks and you hire a chef and, he, and it still sucks, so you fire a chef and you bring in another chef and it still sucks, so you fire that chef, maybe it's time to check the recipe. Maybe your recipe blows. Right. And I don't think he ever changed the recipe whatsoever. And, you know, I, I'm really glad that this team hasn't gone the coaching retread way. I'm glad they're not bringing in Gerard Gallants and Peter Laviolette and all these other guys who, when you look, you watch Nashville and you're like, oh, that's where that guy is now. Um, these coaches that just they're they're on their 10th, 11th, 12th team. Claude Julian was kind of a retread, right? There are so many retread coaches right now, and I'm glad they didn't go that route. However, you could tell how badly he got out coached in that series by a guy who's been around, made adjustments. He's been in the league 25 years, and game one they had a the Florida had a totally different game plan and game and mindset than they did in game seven. And the Bruins for seven straight games did the exact same thing, beating their own head against the wall with no adjustments made. And to me, that is, you know. He's a young coach, and I get it, but, boy, that was striking to me. Um, so, you know, we can talk about issues on the roster and things like that, but the big thing to me was how poorly they got outcoached. For um, a majority of the year and into the playoffs, um, Jim Montgomery has been passing the narrative, like, these guys don't need to be coached, uh, you know, because they're, 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 they're full room, uh, they have a full room of leaders and so on that can – they're an extension of the coaching staff and so on, but maybe, maybe that was not enough. I think um, when it comes to like the, the, the separation point between the voice and the one that needs to accept the message. Um, I think that I think Montgomery and like one of those games when he physically did a cam nearly water bottle spike, you know, I, I think that that at that point it was too late. That should have been done in game one, regardless if it was a three to one win. That intensity on the bench should have been right there in their face. Get the bet. Not not like be an asshole, not be a babcock on the bench and do this and that. But still show some emotion. Get get the extra 10, 20 percent out of it that you need from a team in a playoff position like this. That's grinding it out all year, won the president's trophy and so on keep getting on them. And I don't think that that was there. I think that the whole mentality of they'll figure it out was always going to be something that they relied on until the final game seven, when it was way, way too late. Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, 
I am interested to hear more about where we place the majority of the blame because I, I feel I struggled a lot with Montgomery's decision making. And I also, though, you know, I look at how much blame do we put on the on the Hampus Lindholms? We put on the I mean, I don't want to put really anything on Patrice Bergeron at this point, but how much do we put on, you know, the players we sort of relied on to to be great? I mean, Orloff kind of went quiet after everything, you know, um, like Vince was not there. So I, I don't know. And and I agree. A lot of it was the you know jumbling of the lines, the the, the changes to the you know, who were we subbing in? Who were we taking out? Keeping Forbert in there the whole time. Um, I don't know. So I do place a lot of it on on the coaching and on the, the, the goalie situation as well. But it was tough to see those guys not show up either um, and, and have to sort of a few good players really did show up. And that's great. Um, but have to, you know, watch them try and drag this lifeless body that was the rest of the team, you know, to a win every time. It was tough. So, and I don't want to get too nerdy about it here, but like, are there chain, you know, I know in this sport, a lot, um, a lot of weight gets carried by your assistant coaches. And I know that, you know, and I know he didn't throw him under the bus. The way it was written, he was that Montgomery threw, um, goalie Bob Essence, a on under the bus and I didn't if you listen to it he didn't but obviously he puts a lot of emphasis on his assistant coaches and you know Joe Sacco is from the old regime um Chris Kelly is a Bruin right so like is is now a good time to find yourself an offensive guru head coach that can help fix things that's maybe outside of the organization you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Joe Sacco does so well that has kept his job. I don't know much about John Gruden. Um, but is it maybe time to not necessarily – I'm not a fire Monty, Monty guy yet. I'm not to that point. But if he relies so much on his assistants, is it time to look at, at the staff, goalie Bob aside, because I think it's important to keep that guy. But is it a time to look at some of the personnel on his staff and make some changes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's – I think that is valid. I think a lot of the core obviously are still around from Cassidy and before that. And, um, you know, you do wonder, is there, would there have been some guidance that a different face, a fresh face could have provided that would have changed things? You know, I think that it's valid to, to think that maybe they did get a little complacent and got a little um, comfortable across the board. And maybe, you know, somebody who's not, hasn't been with the organization before, hasn't been within, you know, the coaching staff that they have in Boston, maybe they would have, you know, kicked their asses into gear. I don't know. So I, I think that that might be something to look, to look towards. I agree about, about goalie Bob. I think there's, you know, I think got to keep him around. I, I, I like Chris Kelly a lot. Um, you're right. I don't know what Joe Sack, what Joe Sack was doing to keep him around so long, but maybe something, I don't know. So I don't know. I guess that's where I am. I definitely think that they, they could afford to make some, some coaching changes behind Jim Montgomery, you know. I do want to talk about the goaltending. Um, that's going to be a topic of, of major discussion later. But, like, when you talk about Joe Sacco and this season, what he does for special teams is pretty much, in my opinion, and I know that you guys are trying to find out where Joe Sacco is, I kind of think he's, he's pretty much assistant coached himself into an NHL coaching job. Um, the guy still gets, um, you know, resume sent to him when, when there's a league opening. Um, so that might be 
something for Joe and to move on to be the bench boss, but also an opportunity to clear space for that guy, Steve and Grace, that you've both talked about to get that person in here who's a who's a fresh voice, much like Montgomery. You know, Sacco's been around this team for six, seven years, I believe. So, you know, and the whole narrative of um of a Cassidy getting fired after six year tenure and the and the message stale might translate to guys like Sacco, the old style coaches. So, I mean, this might be an opportunity for somebody else to come in, fresh voice and so on. I I agree with that. But uh yeah, I think I think Joe could possibly get a head coaching job somewhere in the near future. Not not like this year, but sometime soon. Yeah, and I um a lot of times in hockey is no different than any other sports, but a lot of times when you have a coaching change, that coach wants their own guys. So it's, it's kind of rare. I don't say rare, but it's not often that you see a new coach get hired and then he keeps the old assistants. Um, Again, to me, goalie Bob and, and Mike Dunham, based on what has, has happened with these two goalies and the goalies in the pipeline, I think you keep those guys, but um, you know, the other thing, and I hate to even mention it, but like, I, I think it's time to just stop hiring guys that we know and step out of our comfort zone. I mean, Chris Kelly, former Bruin, Adam McQuaid, former Bruin, um, you know, they, they, PJ Axelson, who I love uh, in the scouting department, former Bruin. <clears throat> maybe it's time to look at what has made Chicago successful there. And the, well, maybe Chicago is a bad example based on what was going on there, <laughs> yeah, but no you know, some of these other teams that have had a lot of success, <clears throat> maybe you can sort of look at, their personnel or, or some of the other ideas. And, you know, I look at Montreal hiring uh, Marty St. Louis again. I don't know if the guy can coach himself out of a bag, but it's an interesting hire. The guy could see the guy's successful. Like, so, you know, maybe it's time you, you look at some of the former players that might be interested in this, that might be a little inexperienced that have a fresh new set of eyes. And you talked about the old style, um, Mark, maybe we need, some new style. Maybe we need a little bit of, a little bit of freshening up, you know? Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know what necessarily is out there. I can't even really give you a name necessarily like go get Matt Sundin. Like I have no idea, but um, you know, I don't know what, what Greg Zanin's doing these days. Maybe he can come in and coach, but, um, <laughs> um, but you know, it's just, it's something to think about here as we head towards the off season, if there's any moves, you know, besides Mo- Montgomery that we could make uh, in the coaching ranks. Um Grace, you mentioned it real quick. Um, it's just, it's kind of unfortunate. Bergeron comes back, plays three games. They go 0-3. He's minus three. Uh, any any sort of idea why, Grace? Or is that, was that just sort of, sort of the way it worked out? It just, it didn't seem to me like he played like crap. It just, it's just kind of the way it went. Yeah, I know. I didn't. There were players, you know, who I looked at throughout the series and was like, they are actively making this worse. But, I, you know, I didn't feel that way when Bergeron came back. I, I do think a little bit was, you know, too little, too late. Um, I also, you know, I think it was hard for obviously him being hurt and also, you know, being tossed into an already mixing up lineup was not really what I think is most conducive to his game, which has always been that sort of level-headed consistency, um, you know, uh, real, what would you say? I don't know, like connection to his, to his line mates. So I, I, I don't know. I felt, I don't put, I really don't put a lot of it or even, you know, I put very, very little of it on Bergeron. I, maybe that's cause I'm just a, 
Bergeron apologists. Um, I, you know, I, what he's done for the team this season and beyond has been so much. So I don't know. I think a lot of it was him being hurt, him, um, you know, being forced into these different lines, you know, what they say, I forget what they said, like how long it lasted when he wasn't on a line with Marsh and like it lasted like two lot, like it was like two switches and then they were like back. Um, so I don't know. I think that, that part of the reason he wasn't able to contribute as much was the issues with coaching that we've talked about, but I don't know. I think being hurt, being an older guy, it's, it's not easy to be thrown in like that. And yeah, so I, I don't hold a lot of it against him. I hold it a lot against the other people on the team who were there the whole time and weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? Uh, to dovetail on the whole thing on doing what you're supposed to do is it's the leadership factor. In my opinion, you have the ultimate leader, you you know, a bit, your dying King Patrice Bergeron, the captain, the, uh, and just an, an unbelievable hall of fame career, Selkie winning trophy coming yin yang. You get a trophy, you get a trophy, you get a trophy. But where was these players and I'm not personally calling them out. I know this happens in sports all the time, but where were the players that were all like on that basic narrative all season, the record breaking season that this is like the swan song for players like Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. And we need to do it for them. I mean, you did it during the regular season and like a light switch snapped off during the playoffs. What I don't understand is, you know, Bergeron coming back with a herniated disc, that's tough to do, fighting through pain, playing through pain, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they just didn't do it while he was in the lineup either. You know, and, and that was tough for me, for me to see uh, because, you know, he the guy was out there. You could definitely tell that in the early in the seat in the series, reports uh, were going out from Chris Kelly uh, that he was texting. You know, being that leader, that, that extension from the bench from, from afar, you know, saying that there's holes here, there's holes there, there's holes there. And I think Bergeron just is so proud that, that he's basically watching from home saying, we're losing this series and I need to do something. Uh, but I just, I was just really disappointed when everything couldn't come together for a player like him that we don't know his future. You know, I mean, is he going to retire? He just, I, I guess he's having a, another baby. Is that going to, you know, play a play a role in his decision. Like I'm, I need to be a full-time father now, you know, or uh, other room is coming out that, you know, there's a hundred year season of the Boston Bruins next year. You know, uh, is he going to want to participate in that as well? So, but I give it all up to him. I mean, that guy doesn't need anything given to him. It's a totally, his decision is up to him, but I, I have to question cope management and, and medical staff on this one is why did you, like even want him to rush back in i get the whole you know you're my boy and this and that pat on the back we do any, anything for each other but sometimes you know players that come in are not always beneficial to what you're trying to do and i don't know but i kind of saw a little better game out of everybody when he wasn't in the lineup it was almost like when he was in the lineup everybody was just more timid and holding their sticks way too tight so it's just uh it's frustrating because of the fact is that we don't know what his future is going to be like. And, and did we watch on last Sunday, a week from today, his last game? Yeah, I think you're I think you're kind of hitting on it. I think the whole point of the moves that they made and one of the strengths that this team had all year was its depth. And for once, we had bodies. And, you know, I looked it up, the 2013 Bruins, that was the year he played with the punctured lung against Chicago. 
I mean, if he's out of the lineup, you're looking at putting in uh, – you're putting in Carl – you're either moving up Carl Soderberg or you're putting in Ryan Spooner, okay? Those aren't exactly grade A options. Right. But would you rather have your top two lines down the middle be Coyle and Zaka at 100% or a 60% of Patrice Bergeron and uninspired David Krejci? I would probably take the first one. So, like, this was the year where you had the depth where you could look at guys like Bergeron and Krejci and say, get yourself to 80% because we don't need you at 60%. We're, we're good. Same can be said for the goaltender, which I know we're going to get to. Um, at some point, the job of the coach and the medical staff is to save the players from themselves. Bergeron will play through anything. He's soft his leg. He'll skate around on one leg. I mean, we know that, right? At some point, the coach has to save the players from themselves. And, and the depth on this team was so good that you didn't need to do this. Same thing with Derek Forbert, who was not the same when he came back from injury. You, you got other options. Like, there's no reason to bring him back because of the depth on this team. You're, again, you're not bringing in Greg Zanin. Um, so so this, is, this is the kind of thing that, to me, it, it all kind of comes back to, again, again, management. And this isn't the NBA where you just have to be a glorified babysitter for 82, 82 games and call timeouts at the right time and work the officials. No, there's more to it. And yeah. I, I just think that the, like you said, the management coaching staff, all that kind of, kind of mis, mishandled the Bergeron situation. And we're, and everyone's pointing at him. Everyone's pointing at Bergeron going, Oh, what the hell's wrong with him? You know, it'll be interesting to see. It certainly looked like a swan song for him after that game. Um, I've been sort of on the, he'll definitely come back train. I'm not so sure about that anymore after seeing that. So we'll see. But um, I don't know. It was a, it was an, it was, it was tough to watch him go out there and kind of clearly not be right and, and limp around. Yeah. I think, and I think that you make just that, that's such a great point that we have seen him play through quite literally, you know, everything. And, you know, everybody's pointing at, everybody's angry at, at Jim Montgomery about the Habs game. And, you know, that's where it happened. And, but I think, you know, I think that you're, you're, you know, you're right that Bergeron would have played for anything. And, and that's just the kind of guy he is. We love that about him, but it's also, you know, you're right. It's sort of a, a double-edged sword that then he's going to get out there and maybe not perform the way that he knows that he can, that he might want to. Um, and you wish that, that there had been management same way. We'll talk about it with, with Olmark that you wish somebody had been like, Hey, no, like we're, we're okay. We have great options. Um, so they could have come back hundred percent, but no, I think that's a great, a great point that definitely of all people, all characters, Bergeron's the one who is always going to be like, yeah, I'm good to go. I mean, the guy played with a, with a fucking punctured lung. Like that's, that's insane, you know? So he's insane, but like, we love him for that, but it, it, it definitely, he's insane. <laughs> We've been talking about Montgomery a lot throughout this part, this uh, episode 329 so far, but I do want to, I, I keep forgetting to, I'm trying to like insert it at a certain time, but th- here's a quote that was from Nesson.com. I'm not sure which writer it was, uh, but I will shout out the company. Uh, it says Bruins head coach Jim Montgomery seemingly was pleased with his team's compete level across the series uh, final three games, which made no the trio uh, consecutive losses all the more difficult to explain. He says in quote, I do think that the first two games we played, we, were, we weren't ready uh, for the intensity of a Stanley Cup playoffs. And I think that goes with the regular season. 
Montgomery told reporters per ESPN, but by game five, six, and seven, we had dug in. That's where it was a little stupefying. Thoughts on that comment right there? Well, I mean, I, I again, I, I don't think uh, he didn't change anything. You can't just show up and play more intense and expect to win. Like intensity gets you so far. But like when you can't figure out a defense that's got, you know, young guys and, and Radko Gudis, and you can't figure out how to get the puck in the zone, like, again, you got to change the recipe. You got to change the ingredients. And there was no changing of that. So like, at, w- at what point did they sit down and say, all right, here at practice, we're going to work on these three new zone entries. We're going to work on these two and a half new power play plays. Like, let's work something off the faceoff. I don't think that ever happened. And so that's where I'm left stupefied is that how do you get to that point? You don't make any adjustments. Yeah. And I, I also wonder, you know, because that's not something that I necessarily towards the, the latter half of the season, I think so. But the, you know, the, he made adjustments often. Montgomery did like when it was needed during the regular season. That was there. Um, I don't know if it if it is that that, um, you know, I, I, I heard some people talking about it. I was talking to my dad about this the other day about like, was it that having all of these new options with the additions of, you know, Bertuzzi, Hathaway, um, you know, Taylor Hall being back? Was it sort of, you know, death by a thousand cuts trying to do a million different things and then never really finding the thing that fit because, you know, I I felt like he made the adjustments before. And now then suddenly when we had even better options, the adjustments were gone. So I I don't know. I guess I'm also left, you know, reeling. Uh, Grace, I I just want to talk about uh, dovetail a little bit when you're saying there is a narrative out there that uh, had, did this team have way too much depth? If that's even a thing, it's, 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 you have to consider it. You know, just like what you're saying right now. I mean, we had so many pieces that could come in and just fill in the gaps for, you know, a leadership member if needed and so on. But we really didn't do that. We didn't use that depth as we did in the regular season where it got uh, successful. And again, I do understand that the postseason and regular season are different. But, man, it's just like, you know, once you once you have the ability to create chemistry, you should be able to do that through up and down the lineup with so many versatile players. You have so many options. Bruce Cassidy did it on a regular. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if that's I don't I really don't know if there's such a thing. I mean, if you to lose Marshawn at, at times, Krejci at times, Forbert at times and your goalie and never once have to stray from your roster, like never pull up a guy from Providence, never go to the ta- taxi squad. Like that's why you have the depth. And, you know, guys have to understand like, like Trent Frederick, man, you got to understand we're fully loaded. Whether it's Thomas Nosek or it's Felino or it's you guys got to understand we're fully loaded here and we're one injury away from you playing 20 minutes a night, you know, and and those injuries happened and and they I just think they mismanaged it. I, I think that to me, the biggest story of this, those seven games were mismanagement. I just I don't think you can have too much depth in the sport. I really don't. Um, and there's no way you can play two and a half months of hockey in the playoffs and not need depth. You know, it, it, it's inevitable for everyone. So, oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, 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 same thing for Krejci. What do we think about Krejci? Did we see Krejci's last game? Do you want him back? Do you think uh, he comes? He can come back in like a limited role. Do we bump him up to first line center if Bergeron leaves? What are uh, Grace? What are some of your thoughts on on the future of David Krejci? And do you want him? I don't know. I guess I'm kind of torn. I, first of all, I think they're gonna be a package deal. 
I think that it will either be both or it will be neither because I feel like we can't really do it halfway. And I would rather, honestly, it be both or neither because then we can sort of fully send whichever way it is, you know, come back one more try. Let's go for it. Let's fix what we messed up last time and, and move forward or all right, you guys are gone. It's time to start building these leaders that are in the group already. Get ready for, you know, I still think they're going to be good and, and will continue to be good. Maybe not the same as with 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 them but I still think that they have the talent there so I don't know I would rather it go one way or the other I personally would like him back I I think that him being healthy is number one um same with Bergeron I think that they we just are a better team when they're both healthy and in the lineup that said I think that we are a significantly worse team when they are not healthy and in the lineup so if, if they can't be the players that like we know them to be and that we need them to be, then I, I, I don't want them to force it. I don't want them to come back and, you know, do this thing where we're trying to make something work that is not going to work. Um, I don't know. I, I remember last time we were talking about you guys were both on the Bergeron's going to come back train. And I was on the not, the not so much train. And then I don't know, you guys got sentimental and I wanted to believe it. So I don't know. I'm choosing to, to believe that they might both come back, but, I don't think it's a disaster without them. I know that it's, it feels like a disaster because, you know, there are leaders, they have been our leaders for so long, but you know, we, we have so much good going for us that I don't want to, you know, hang the success of any season on whether or not they come back. So I'm okay. Either way, I'll be sad. Definitely. If they don't come back because I love them, but you know, I sort of, especially watching the end of that game there, you know, there's like a picture, still picture of Bergeron's face, just like, you know, your heart breaks for them and you wanted something better, but it looked like the end. Um, So I don't know either way. I don't know. I appreciate that, that Frazier said it's either Bruins are done. You know, he's not going back to play um, in the Czech league and he's not going anywhere else. Not that anybody thought that he would, but um, so I don't know. I go back and forth. I want them to be healthy and I want them to be here healthy, but I don't want them here if they're not healthy. <laughs> yeah. Mark real quick before I get to you, cause if they do like one of the things that I have, and again, I don't do math, but Bergeron and Krejci aren't costing them very much money. And if both of them leave, it's not like, wow, now we have all this money to spend to go out and get a new second and first line center, right? Like they don't really have that availability. So if they both leave, Based on the, and again, Mark, you know better than I do, based on the money that they have available, it's not like they can go out and go go spend $8 million a year on some hotshot 25-year-old center, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be tough. Evan Gold's got uh, his work on his plate for him this offseason. Um, but when you're considering David Krejci's return and what he's done for the uh, his career throughout, uh, you know, in Boston – um, it's been good stuff, you know, it's, it's been really good. Maybe it's time to, to ride the high road, um, you know, and be with the family all the time. I know he said something about, he's not going to play in the Czech Republic. It's going to be either in Boston or he's going to retire, but this kind of, you know, I know that the buddy buddy system throughout this organization, you know I mean? We have John Sweeney as our manager, we have Cam Neely as our president and so on. I get that, you know, uh, this organization thrives on, getting people that were in the, in the organization as te- as uh, players in the past, give them opportunities for higher roles in management and so on. Management has got to really think about this as well, because uh, we have a salary cap, salary cap crunch this off season. And because we signed uh, Patrice Bergeron and we signed 
uh, David Krejci, the team next season put themselves in a $4.5 million hole that is against our cap. So management might even look and say, do we even want him back? Because logistically we can't do it cap wise. Um, we have several players that we have to sign, resign, restricted free agents on UFAs if we're going to even bring them back. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good things that are going on. And we're definitely going to be talking about it on the Black Gold Hockey Podcast in the next couple of weeks about how we want to see our uh, lineups uh, you know, pan out, who comes, who goes in free agency and so on. But uh, I just, I mean, do I want him to come back? Yes, but I also, Steve, we had a conversation before Grace joined us a couple of weeks ago. David Krejci tends to check out like at a certain time of the regular season. When it gets towards 82, it's like, okay, we're in. I'm going to, you know, you know, I just want to see that full effort. And if he is coming back on a million dollar cap friendly, you know, uh, deal, I want to see the 82 game effort, not just like we're in. Let me know when I need to get playoff ready. I need you all the time because even in that first round series, when he was out and in and out and in, whatever, I mean, his best game of that was game seven when he point th- put three points in. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. Love the guy. I, I, I've watched him throughout his career. I've seen him in Providence. You know, I just, it's just maybe it's somewhat, sometimes it's time to walk away from certain players because you need to give younger players that are down in Providence and the, and the developing depths opportunities as well. No, I, I was just going to say that I, I think that the Bruins are a unique team or not necessarily unique, but different than a lot of teams where you see like, you know, notice that we're not talking about, we get rid of Bergeron and Krejci or we don't get rid of them, but they don't come back. You know, we're not, that's not a rebuild. You know what I mean? Like for us, that's, that's not what it is. That's not the situation we would be in. Um, things would be different and weird, but it's not, you know, we're not looking at, the Canadians, well, I don't know what the Canadians are doing, but we're not looking at like, you know, a, a Ducks, yeah, nobody does, um, you know, <laughs> the, the Ducks, you know, or, or even, uh, you know, a team like, I don't know what, like the Red, well, like the Red Wings are a good example, like the like Red the Wings, Red like pour it all the way down. Now they're trying to build it so back. So true. Again. Yeah. You know, you, and so I think that that's, that's what makes it different. So you almost do want to, if they're going to get out, you know, maybe sooner rather than later is better so that we don't end up in a, you know, couple of years they're suddenly gone and so are half the people who made this team so successful this year and for the past couple of years they're gone too so I don't know I think that that's a, a fine line that we also have to walk you, you know in terms of how we're gonna move forward in the future yeah I also feel like a guy like Charlie Coyle has always stepped up to that challenge he's always been third line Charlie Coyle but it seems like second line Charlie Coyle is like a whole different animal and I like it um, yeah. but I don't think we've ever seen second or top line Charlie Coyle for 82 games. So, you know, you you'd certainly have some question marks there. They have the bodies. It's a matter of, of whether or not, you know, they have the ability to really step up. Uh, we are going to take a here a minute here to hear from some of our sponsors, but before I do, I just wanted to give you guys a question to think about for after, um, as we look back and if this is the end for Bergeron and Krejci, we look at this run since they've been here and since Chara came here all these years in one Stanley cup. I want you to tell me if that's success or failure. Cause we've been looking at this now. This is what four, four trips to the cup final um, president's trophies all over the place. And yet there's only one title. So um, that's something I want you to think about, but I do want to make sure people make a fast break 
to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Um, I will be getting in on the action with the Celtics today. I got the Celtics minus three. I want uh, – I want to call him Reggie White. Um, the point guard there, White, I want him to have plus 15 points. Al Horford, three made threes. And James Harden, uh, since there are no strip clubs in uh, – no good ones at least, Harden will put up 20 points. Uh, there is a – a serious connection between the amount of strip clubs and how well James Harden plays. Um, not exactly the strip club capital of the world here in Boston. So um, uh, I, I think he'll put up 20 points, uh, but there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. You can visit fanduel.com slash Boston and get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 at fanduel.com slash Boston. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Uh, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC uh, LLC. So congratulations to Kansas. If you have a gambling problem, you can call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or visit fanduel.com slash RG. Also, you can take the next step with 1 800 next step or text next step to 53342. Uh, that is if you live in the state of Arizona. Shout out to all of our Arizona peeps. Uh, in Connecticut, 1 888 789 7777. Or you can visit ccpg.org slash chat. Uh, Indiana. We can go through Indiana. Sure. 1 800 9 with it. W I T H I T for our folks in Pawnee, Indiana. Uh, 1-800-552-4700 for our folks in Kansas. And let's find our wonderful people here in Massachusetts. GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support here in Massachusetts. And uh, hope is available as well. If you do have the gambling problem, you can reach out to any of those places. They would be happy to assist you. Mark, did you get down on any of the uh, Kentucky Derby yesterday? Absolutely. And I hit uh, kind of big. I broke even. So spent a couple of hondos yesterday. Uh, it was a great day. Me and Courtney, Courtney and I, um, we did barbecue. I smoked a brisket for eight hours. Um, it was fantastic. We ate good. We drank good. And, and we just watched the uh, Kentucky Derby. So and I did pick mage. Uh, so I put money on all the horses. So just in case one didn't, I was going to kind of hedge my bets a little bit. But I picked Mage, and I uh, came in with a uh, a couple of Hondos, and and uh, broke even. So, not a bad day. Yeah, I, I was saying to Mark, not as great of a day for me in terms of uh, uh, the Kentucky Derby. But uh, I did recently. I had some success betting on the Celtics. Al Horford. I knew after that reporter laughed at him. I knew he was about to go off <laughs> and show that he was the elite shooter that we all needed him to be, and that I've come to love and adore so hitting a little bit there definitely better at the i'll have to practice my betting on on horse racing because it's clearly not my forte um but hopefully hopefully i'll, I'll study up better next time and, and come out ahead or at, at least like mark come out nice and even love being that 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 neutral spot too <laughs> well lucky oh, yeah. for you grace forte got stra- scratched see what i did there <laughs> Um, i love it yeah i just i just played around for fun we took some names from the uh from the family i don't know if i can say that but you know the we read the names to the half pints see which ones they like and uh (laughs) nobody picked mage because it's not exciting i was like you know cyclone thunder and 
no chance you know king barnes like whatever it was like no chance so uh we just had fun with it it's fun watching uh i don't know i don't want to i don't want to sound so wrong but having like little kids there's my horse you know watching them fly around it's just fun like whatever um you know not not spending the vacation money to disney world or anything like that you know so uh i don't know it's fun to get the, the family involved they don't even know what's going on but they have um yeah, and what's his name? Not Reggie White. What the hell is the the, the uh, shooting guard's name for the Celtics? White. Oh, oh Derek White. Derek White. Thank you. Reggie White was like a linebacker. Like <laughs> yeah, for Green close. Bay. And yeah, I hate yeah. football. Right. <laughs> Man, one of those days. Um, we also want to hear from our friends at Action Electronics. For over 30 years, Action Electronics, a Walpole mass company, has been a leading source of value-added time-saving supply chain solutions. You can visit them online at actionelectronics.com. You can please give their customer service a call, 508-668-3131, and follow the company's social media accounts as well. They're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are Action Electronics. Twitter is AE Supply Chain. Um, you can follow their YouTube channel as well, at elect- Action Electronics TV. Um, and uh, local business, good people. Um, we're happy to have them on board. And again, if we have any other companies that want to sort of get down, get out to our listening audiences, reach out. We're happy to help. Absolutely. It's a very small investment. Just join our Patreon um, uh, campaign and uh, go over $25 and we'll uh, do an ad read for you. So uh, we've been doing a lot, very well with Action Electronics so far. And they've uh, they've been so nice. They've upped it. Uh, they've doubled their contributions uh, recently. And, and shout out to Nick and Barry, who both work at Action, for that uh, amazing news. And uh, we just want to, you know, we support local business and so on. We're, we're New England people, even though that grace is down in the uh, Carolinas, uh, you know. But, uh, yeah, definitely want to keep the, uh, the local thing going. You know, if you have a brewery, restaurant, anything, you know, I love beer and food. I could do an ad read here while I eat your food and drink your beer. You know, it's that easy. Just looking to mooch. That's what that sounded like. <laughs> looking to mooch some food. Um, all right, guys. So I brought it up earlier. Is this this run that they've been on one Stanley Cup? Chara, Bergeron, Krejci. If this all comes to an end, is this is this been a success or or, or a failure? Grace, please take this one. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I guess I I I was sitting here and thinking about it, and you know. 2011 that was that was a long time ago it was it was 12 years ago and you think about how close we've been how close it's felt like we've been I mean this honestly I I I know I've seen a lot of comparisons between this and 2019 this one definitely despite only being you know getting out in the first round rather than the Stanley Cup final it it stung in the same way it stung in the sense that you did sort of look at it like this was the the culmination of you know that this big period of of superstars that we've had since you know 2011 going forward you're right president's trophies galore breaking records this year um so i don't know i i try not to see it as a failure because i do think that all of that other stuff is outrageously you know important and we have gotten so close but it's hard not to feel like, you know, having all of this success and still being 12 years moved on from our, you know, what, what we fight for, what we go for. And, and so, I don't know. I think that I do, 
like this, this, it's hard right now to not be like, this has been a failure. This has been a, a whether it's been one year mismanagement, coaching wise, another year blame injuries, goaltending, you know. So I, I think right now I'm still, I've still got a sour taste in my mouth. So I'm like, yeah, I'm pissed. This, this was a failure. We had every opportunity to capitalize so many years, including this one, and we didn't do it. Um, but at the same time, I also look at it as, man, what other team has had the sort of success that we have somehow consistently managed to have? Um, you know, even like the the Penguins, I almost feel worse for than I feel for us because of, you know, you bring back all these people the same way we did. And we sort of had the season that I think Penguins fans at least expected they were going to have. And it so it does when you compare it to what it could have been, I want to believe it was a success, but it stings. It hurts to not, to not be able to have more hardware to show for it, you know, to not have had a parade since 2011. Um, so I don't know, it's tough, but I, uh, I don't know. I think that, that right now, yeah, I might say it's a failure, but ask me again in a week when I'm feeling slightly better and then maybe I'll have a different answer. (laughs) Oh, this is a tough one, Steve-O, because I'm on the fence on so many topics, uh, so many thoughts. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I kind of see it as a as a organizational failure. Um, I I just don't understand how this happened with all the leadership that we have that has been here since 2011, that has been here since going up three to three and oh to Philadelphia Flyers just to have them turn around at a moment's notice and go down three straight games and lose it in seven. Um, that was 12 years ago, like Grace said. Um, you know, yeah, I I just wish that there was more consistent development of younger players. I understand that the vets get you here and they, you know, they, they, it's a nurturing thing. They're, they're still a great value on the ice and so on. But to me, over these years in between, um, now and 12 years ago, I just don't think that there was a great uprise of, of young talent. And, and I think that's because, you know, you made trades for veteran players and you had to involve uh, draft picks along with them. You know, uh, I just don't think that the the uprise of homegrown talent that you picked from the podium was was great enough to really solidify a Bruins team that was going to be competitive Stanley Cup runners, not competitive regular season Stanley Cup runners consistently. You know, you got there in 13 and 19, but ultimately you couldn't get it done because I don't think that you had the grit at the time or the youth in your lineup. I think that I think that this is going to be a big change. Unfortunately, the Bruins are going to have to change because now you're going to have to look at players down in Providence that have uh, lower cap hits right now on entry-level deals that are probably going to be in the lineup next season because of this cap crunch and the $4.5 million in penalties and everything that Evan Gold has to do to construct a proper and um, uh, compliant roster next season. So I don't know. It's just, it's just I wish that there was just a lot more youth movement throughout that duration uh, of when they last won till here we are now talking. And and I'm not I'm not downgrading any of the efforts at all. All I'm saying is I just wish that the with all the leaders that the Marchands, the Bergerons, the Krejci's, and so on, the guys are above 30 years old. There hasn't been that progression coming up from uh, the development pros. And and again, I'm not knocking the development system and so on. It's just something that I I've seen. You know, I don't have any analytics or stats to back it up. I'm just saying 
just saying it off the cuff, but still it's just, it's, um, it's concerning to me at least. Think about where the team could have been if they kept Blake Wheeler, but then you don't trade Blake Wheeler <laughs> to get to Rich Peverly and, you know, and, and then you botch the Sagan trade, you know, so, uh, you know, th- there's been the ups and downs to me. It was, I think it was 2013 against Chicago when they gave up two, two Rask gave up two brutal, brutal goals that were both the exact same back to back. Claude Julian never calls a timeout. They give up two goals, go to overtime and lose to some guy named Dave Boland. Right. Um, that current that, Phoenix Coyote. That to me is a, is a, is a tough one. I think that right now, I mean, the league is so hard. I think the league is really is hard now. And, and I don't think that's always the case. And we talk about, um, we talk about the Bruins passing Montreal for the best record in the regular season in the Montreal. Well, Montreal had nine hall of famers. Well, cool. They were playing the California golden Sears seals who had like guys selling insurance and, and like pig farmers. Like that's not exactly like, you're not exactly talking about high level talent here. You know, and again, I wasn't around in the seventies, but like when I look, having said that, when I look back at the seventies Bruins, you won two, that's it. You're playing the California golden seals and you only won two. And you were drinking beers and smoking cigarettes in the locker room. They're hanging out at Joe Namath's in New York City. It's like Turk Sanders, get the hell out of there. You got the game tomorrow, right? So if it wasn't for the women, the booze, and the cigarettes, maybe they could have won more and they should have won more. This team doesn't really have that excuse, right? I mean, they could have easily had three or four over the course of the last, you know, 15 years. So, um, but again, it's harder now. It's just, it's harder now than it's ever been. And Records don't mean shit, and all you need is a hot goaltender or a really locked-in coach or a team that's just a pain in the ass like it, like the Islanders have been, you know. But, boy, I mean, I was in college when Scott Walker beat them for Carolina, and that still feels like it was yesterday, and I've been out of college so damn long. <laughs> but, but it's just it, it, looking back on all those things, it's like I just I, I was always left wanting more. I guess from this, this run. And I think that the guys deserved it. Um, you know, I feel the same way about, about Pittsburgh. Like I, I was worried about playing Pittsburgh in the first round because in all honesty, Sidney Crosby deserves one more. The guy is an all level. He's a, he's a, one of the best players in history. If I wasn't a Bruins fan, I would say, you know what, let's get Sidney Crosby one more um, because he's just, his career's earned it. Um, not this year, but that team kind of scared me heading into the playoffs. I was like, I don't want any part of Sidney Crosby at the end of his career. No way. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm I, uh, left wanting more. Yeah, when you talk about Pittsburgh and, and you know a potential matchup for the Boston Bruins, you remember me a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. Now it's like I don't want to play the Pittsburgh Penguins because it it almost seems like the Bruins are going to run w- would run them over four games to zip. You know they did it in the past and so on with Tukaraskin that. Um, but I wanted more of a challenge. I wanted somebody right out of the gate first round that's going to get in your face, and that was the Florida Panthers. You know, but. Not- Look at me now. <laughs> it's like we're not in the playoffs anymore. You got it. Basically, got uh, you know what you asked for, and um, and just didn't produce. Yeah, I mean that's what you know. We all saw the Twitter videos of the Leafs fans chanting, "We want Florida." I feel like we were also kind of like, "Yeah, if we're just gonna bowl over the Penguins, give me something challenging. I'll take Florida." Look, look where it got us. Look where it's getting yeah. the Maple Leafs right now. Like. It, <laughs> The Panthers were oh, not yeah. to be messed with, and they certainly taught a lesson and are continuing to teach a lesson to anybody who who thought they wanted them in the in 
the early stages of the of the playoffs. So and again, it looks like they tweaked their game plan. Like they don't look like they're playing the same game plan against Toronto. They played against us, which is something we couldn't do as a coaching staff. So um, we do have uh, we have a couple of things we have to talk about. We do also have some hotline calls as well that we'll get to today. Nine, seven, eight. 504-2727. If you got something you want us to talk about, you can hit us up anytime. Um, we also have the hashtag, hashtag AskBNG, which um, has been hot over the last week, as you can imagine. Um, and we do have to talk about Mark's Providence Bruins, which is another team that just uh, underachieved significantly. But um, I think the last thing that I think we need to touch on for Boston's sake is the goaltending. And, you know, we talked about Linus Ulmark. Um, I don't know. I felt like he had a hard time getting up. Uh, there were times where he would go down on the ice and then like lay there to make a double, like a double pad stack save as opposed to just getting up. Um, and it turns out he was injured and, um, you know, goalie Bob was the one sort of making the calls on that. Uh, what happened here, Mark? How come, how come he played as many games as he did considering his health? All right, I'm going to tee up uh, Kevin Weeks' tweet right here. And this was shortly after the uh, the uh, series ended with the Florida Panthers. And Kevin said, uh, like all teams, players grit it, grit it out and play through major injuries in the playoffs. My sources tell me soon-to-be Vesna goalie Allmark was playing through a debilitating and painful injury that limited his mobility and technique. Um, not the greatest thing you want to hear. Uh, closing out a, a a year that was just a record-breaking year, an unbelievable year. Um, but it just brings me back to what we talked about with, with Patrice Bergeron and injured players. Um, you And going back to the regular season, back to December when Jeremy Swayman just really started to, to really uh, show this Boston Bruins organization and fan base that we have a legitimate one a one B tandem in net, and we won the Jennings Trophy. Omak's going to win the Vesna, but I don't understand if a goaltender was injured, why was he playing? And I, I, I am a Bob Basenza guy. I am a Mike Dunham guy. Those two really develop and and bring along goaltenders really well. But ultimately, goalie Bob must have said to Jim, "He's he's he's." fighting through something here. I mean, I have trust in them at 80%, but we're in the playoffs, you know, but ultimately I don't see him being the scapegoat here at all. Even though I kind of read it that way, Jim Montgomery had the freaking call. He had Swayman so healthy for five, six and seven. that could have gotten this win. All we needed was one win. We were up three to one, you know, and I just think that it was, it was too late. I don't want to move forward with seeing injuries and play, players playing through them. Use the depth that you have. It's not like Keith Kincaid is still with the team and you called him up to, to play for an injured Allmark. We have another guy that the guys trust, that they move forward with, that they roll with, we ride and die with. Um, it's very frustrating, uh, to say the least. Um, but I, I, I don't want to – I really don't want to – I don't understand why Lenius was uh, so – uh, deflective with his his um his uh, exit uh, interviews when he's saying you know reporters were asking him what's the injury and he just said I'd rather not disclose it at this point 
you know, with physicals uh, later on that day. Uh, I don't understand that. So is he going to have surgery or not? Who knows what the, you know, the off season brings for him, but it's just very frustrating that, you know, you had a hundred percent healthy guy, a kid that is, is, you know, is as good as any other goaltender in the league right now. And, and uh, you just didn't use them, didn't utilize them. And it's, it's very frustrating. We talked about it last week, even when we were, you know, taking guesses or who we'd prefer to see in goal uh, last Sunday. But yeah, I think there was such a, an underutilization just across the board. Like even, especially with Linus Allmark being injured, but even more, like I would have been fine putting Jeremy Swayman in even after seeing that Allmark, let's say it wasn't because of an injury. He just wasn't performing that well. You know, I, I, we were, we were acting like it was, we were having to call up somebody from the AHL. We were trying to, we were having to call up somebody who had never played a playoff game in their life. I mean, that it, we were, it's Jeremy Swayman, who we know is good. He, he's a top caliber goaltender on any other team. And just because we happen to have the, you know, Vezina Trophy winner right in front of him, like, it didn't change how good he was and, and the capabilities he had. And I don't fault him at all. I know that heartbreaking watching his exit interviews, seeing, you know, how, much he felt like he let the team down. And I, I imagine that's such a, a goalie thing to always feel that. But, you know, I I I do put it on the coaching staff. I don't know where it, you know, was goalie Bob saying he's good to go, keep him in there. Was it Jim Montgomery uh you know not listening to goalie Bob? Was it Olmark saying I'm totally fine and clearly not being totally fine? and he needed to be protected from himself, like like Steve was talking about. Um, I don't know. It, it was hard to watch. And I agree with Mark. I don't really know what the whole being cagey about what the injury is. I don't know if he's – I don't know. That that was weird to me. Obviously, you know, we're not owed all the details of every player's life, but it was kind of weird that it was clearly something that was going on, and he just didn't want to yeah. say it. But Yeah, because you're not, you're not playing another game, so you don't have to worry about the yeah. opponent coming after you. <laughs> You know, I mean, are you worried about a player coming after you in October? I mean, come on. <laughs> maybe he just didn't know. I mean, maybe. Well, that's true, you know, too. I, he, I, you he, know what? He, he could say, yeah, my, you know, my hip hurts. But, you know, he doesn't need to tell us. It's like, well, it's a quadrilateral left pertubus. Like, you know, we don't need all those <laughs> details either. Um, <clears throat> I, I just, I mean, you guys talked about it. It's not It's not Chad Johnson. It's not Jonas Gustafsson. It's not even freaking Anton Hudobin. It's not Malcolm Subban. It's a guy Nicholas that has, it's a guy who's, it's not Nicholas Svedberg. It's a guy that's <laughs> been here and knows what he's doing. It's not even Dan Vladar. It's yeah. a guy that has proven. Don't pick on my boy. I know. Yeah. Was <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, it, they I, rolled I, that way the whole season, and now they decide not to roll with it, and that's a problem for me. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, that's, and it, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure you agreed. It looked so much like the two grass putting him in with the Islanders that series. And they ended up losing, what was it? Two 2021, I think yeah. probably. Yeah, it must've been um, like, it looked so much like that, but that was different. Like we were talking that that was, that was, you had Halak who now is not still showing that we made the right move, mixing things around, but like, that was a totally different situation. That was Tuka Rask and, Yaroslav Halak this is two incredible goaltenders that just it's so frustrating to have seen it so successful during the regular season to not even utilize that that thing that made us so special so unique so powerful was knowing that we had two really reliable 
goaltenders and then just all that to go to shit. Uh, to, to finish up this conversation, uh, maybe, but um, uh, does this change the narrative moving forward of um, playoffs and uh, a one we ride or die with one goalie? Or does this open up for the Boston Bruins and possibly other teams in the NHL that have, you know, the pleasure of getting into the postseason and hopefully not sticking around for just one round? The opportunity to play two healthy goaltenders, keep everybody fresh. And um, I don't know, I, I, I kind of think that if we're in the position next season, hopefully a wild card and maybe wild card one or, you know, the seventh seed, whatever, um, that we, you know, try to ride one of the two uh, off and on. Just like you, what, what got you successful throughout the uh, regular season and won these freaking goalie trophies? Well, it's, it's funny. That's what I was going to ask you guys, because, again, they're both now going to be very popular. Uh, popular trade chips and the Bruins need as much draft capital and as much cap relief as they can get. So, you know, do you ride or die with these guys and try it again next season? And I mean, for me personally, it's a yes, because we've yet to see that it doesn't work because they didn't even try it. So if they tried it and it didn't work, I would say, well, let's try another option, but they didn't even try it. And game four, game five, golden opportunities to get Jeremy Swayman in the game, golden opportunities. And they didn't do it. And so we don't know if this formula doesn't work because they didn't even try it. Yeah. And something else that uh, I wanted to bring up, this is from uh, Rick Robinson from uh, Facebook commenter. Um, Why do all local sports broadcasters keep saying we should trade Allmark, which in fact he has a no movement clause in his contract. And me and uh, uh, Derek and I talked about this earlier. I kind of filled them in um, on kind of how it works uh, from my opinion, but Allmark does have a no movement clause, but it's limited to 16 teams. So pretty much the 16 worst teams in the freaking league, which is half of the league, he doesn't want to go to by contract. But that that doesn't mean that he can't be moved, he can't waive, and so on. But he's got two seasons left. One of Vesna, one of Jennings with uh, with uh, um, the compadre and in the crease with uh, Jeremy Swayman. I don't see him waving for an opportunity to go somewhere else when he can possibly come back and, you know, have a great regular season again, and then try to really hard work for postseason success because a lot of the fans out there are real frustrated with his postseason success, no matter if it was in Buffalo. Oh, well, wait a minute. Buffalo was never in the playoffs, but anyway, you know, with last year's playoffs against the Carolina hurricanes, and then this playoff against the, uh, the Florida Panthers, um, hopefully we get somebody from the Northern part of the, of the, uh, the country uh, in the playoffs next season. So hopefully it's not a Southern thing, Um, but uh, no, I just want to, I just want to see him. I want to see him back and I want to see him recover. I don't think that he can be moved right now. On the other hand, Jeremy Swayman is unsigned RFA. You could trade his rights. Uh, He's going to get a little bit of of a payday Um, and you could get a little bit of draft capital and possibly a roster spot with him. I, I, I don't know. I'm probably just reaching here, uh, but I would I would like to see the tandem back. But uh, with with the salary cap crunch we're going to be going through in the off season, I just don't see everybody coming back as the team that left in the first round. Yeah, and I think you know as we go on the next few weeks, and we'll talk more about what we want to see for roster changes and all. But I'll go ahead. A little preview for me. I'm going to be a big Jeremy Swayman. Bring him back. I don't want to see him gone under any circumstances. I don't want to see either of the goalies gone under any circumstances because I just think that we have such a unique and 
perfect perfect now so was, <laughs> not really but we had a really good thing going so i don't know um but yeah there's so much to unpack with the goalies that was a huge part it does really feel like i mean everything sort of fell apart you look at every angle you know the goalies the coaching the uh, the the defense the the switching the lines everything feels like it fell apart and the, the goalies were definitely one part of that so it sucks your two Marcus. best players on the team two best players on the team taylor hall brandon carlo sad bertuzzi Mac- bertuzzi yeah, oh, Batuzzi, I mean, Batuzzi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, yeah. Were, and Charlie, were, Charlie Coyle. There were a few really good players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Coyle was good. Yep. Yeah, um, and McAvoy yeah, was there Carlo. for most of it. I, I will just say though, you you talked about Olmark, and I know we don't want to get too far down that road, but you know, uh, Carolina's got Freddie Anderson and Auntie Ranta. They're both up after at the end of the year. There's a team he'd love to go play with. I don't know how you wouldn't love to go play in front of Ottawa. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know how you wouldn't love to go play in front of Detroit, another team that's got terrible goaltending situations. So. You know, the options are out there, um, yep. you know, new movement clause and or not. The options are definitely out there for him to play on teams that, again, it's not Arizona. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, yeah especially. Yeah, you're totally right. Good team. Ottawa's going to be dangerous. Ottawa's going to be great next year. I, I don't even don't even want to talk about. I don't even want to touch that. I wish they weren't Canadian because I'd love to root for them. But I, I, yeah. they're the one team that I really have a hard time. I like the, the people on the team are funny and entertaining and I like to watch <laughs> them play. So it's hard. Agreed hard same with the i like the like the sabers are fun to watch i think they're going to be dangerous so you're right that there are a lot of grace slow down yeah sorry (laughs) i uh, meant the other team that uh is out there um but yeah no so i think that i don't know i think that there's a uh i think you're right that we have to really look at our options no matter what we're gonna have to cut our losses like there there are gonna be people who we love that are gonna have to go and that's the worst part of you know, having a team this successful, knowing that pieces of your success, because I do think throughout the year, everybody had a part in the success at one point or another, um, you know, so it's going to be hard no matter what, but goalies for me are going to be tough to part with. So, um, all right, Mark, uh, let's dive into your, another disappointing team of yours, the Providence Bruins who fell much like my Springfield Thunderbirds did to the Hartford freaking Wolfpack, the freaking Wolfpack. And, you know, and real quick, I, I always talk about how Mark Dibber doesn't like me. I don't know why Mark Dibber doesn't like me. He, I used to have him on my show. He was fine. I don't know why he doesn't like me. But he is so freaking pretentiously annoying. He's got a crap all over everybody else's fan base. And he's like, oh, they're, you know, $2 Coors Lights and $1 hot dogs in Hartford. Trying to, you know, tr- trying to steal fans that way. It's like, well, yeah, no kidding. They're an AHL franchise trying to fill the building, of course. $2 drinks and dollar hot dogs? Who doesn't like that? He's like crapping all over Hartford for offering $2 beers and dollar hot dogs. Like as if it's like they're begging fans to come in. That's called great marketing, dude. Like what the hell's the problem with that? And why does he have to crap all over every other team's fan base and their front office? Like give the people some credit. Anyway, Providence, Mark. Um, how do we feel yeah. about, about Providence's situation? Not great. Not great. Just like the uh, NHL parent club, um, you know, one and done. And, and it was a tough Tough year because Providence um, stayed within – they were jockeying back and forth uh, between the first and second in the Atlantic all year. And, you know, not traditionally, but typically, uh, this Providence Bruins team, because of the injuries that happen at the Boston Bruins level, um, you know, they are their roster is a constant influx. So uh, they traditionally start from the, um, you know, the bottom and work their way up. Once um, 
the calendar year changes, that's when they really put on a really good um, effort to get into the Calder Cup playoffs. Um, this year, they went in as the uh, top team in the Atlantic, top team in the East. And, um, you know, much like the Bruins, got out really quick. Um, they were in as a buy. So by capturing the Atlantic Division title uh, for the third year in four years, for third time in four years, um, they had a bye week and 12 days off, 12 days off, uh, it was not good. And, you know, I just think that, that, that even though that they were working their legs, Ryan Mujanel, Trent Whitfield and Matt Thomas were really working them hard to, to, to be ready. I just think that that lack of game action, uh, in that game feel really affected this roster throughout, um, Brandon Bussey was just an, an amazing a goaltender continues to be a, a great story. Uh, no matter what uh, of the success of the Providence this year, um, that, that kid's going places. Um, there was a lot of good things that happened, like Justin Brazeau, a big guy. He uh, led with three points. And it, and it sucks because – and I hate the playoff structure in the AHL. You you need asses in the seats. Why are you limiting playoff games? Like the best of three first round, a best of five second round, a best of – five third round and a best of seven fourth round i don't i don't understand that whole thing it's so no, weird it's, it's so weird. yeah but ultimately the the providence got outplayed by a team that like like steve said wiped out his uh swept the, uh his uh, uh springfield thunderbirds um uh, hartford really came at the boss of uh, the providence bruins physical i mean they brought an element that i don't think that that ryan mujanella and um staff were ready to um you know uh, play against and and ultimately it just it really you know backfired in their face um but i just wish that this the uh playoffs and and the bye week would go away because i think providence would have been better off ending this season capturing the atlantic division title and moving on two or three days after that and get playing and call the cup games i think they would have um made a real serious uh call the cup run for the second time in their franchise history but Ultimately, it just came to a close, and here we are sitting. Uh, the Hartford Wolfpack have a uh, five-on-one record, and and probably going to be one of the better teams out of the East. So, I, it's very unfortunate, um, but there's a there's some good things to that came out of it. Fabian Lysel played well throughout the year. Um, uh, Vinny Letary, uh, Georgie Mikulov, kind of a, a you know disappeared in this series he only had one assist i really wanted that guy to you know be a little more offensive productive um but you know it's just it's just a tough year so hopefully the boston bruins do what they did last year and get those free agents that come down the connor carricks the you know the dan renaults and so on uh during the offseason and kind of build up that that leadership and and also Providence is going to look really good next year. And I know I always say that it's a, it's a record playing over and over, but you got Brett Harrison joining the team. You got Mason Lowry coming in probably for his second year. Um, make her and Lysel and uh, Brandon Bussey for another year. Matthew Portra, who just signed an entry level contract yesterday. Um, you know, uh, but I don't think that because he's a 19 year old, I think he's going to go back to um, Guelph. Gotcha to play one more year and that contract will slide until he gets to the American hockey league. So, um, um, Trevor Kuntar and all these other players are going to be all in there. 
Yeah, Johnny B here another year. Show, show, show some respect for for yeah, go I'm blue sorry. there. I'm sorry, right? Grace. Yeah. I'm sorry, Grace. Hey, hey. <laughs> but I, I, I'm calling for Johnny Beecher. I'll tell you something right now. I'm calling for Johnny Beecher. If uh, Thomas Nosek is not going to be in the lineup next year, I would like to see uh, John Beecher there. And I will go on record. If you guys can, and you and the listeners and viewers can go way back to. Uh, when the preseason games were happening and Thomas Nosek was absolute trash, I was I was um, uh, glorifying Johnny Beach's game, saying he's playing really good this preseason and um, and training camp that he should deserve that fourth line center spot. So if uh, Thomas Nosek is not coming back, Johnny Beach should have that. But I mean, pretty much that's a wrap on the uh, the Providence Bruins year. Um, you know, a good year, fun. Shout out to the Province Bruins organization for giving our company, the Black and Gold Production Sports Media Company, uh, another year of credentialed opportunities. Um, and myself have been down there several times, uh, and other teammates in, in our uh, in our uh, in our company went down there as well to cover uh, some games. So uh, it's been it was fun, but uh, ultimately it sucked to end. Nothing better than a than AHL hockey. <clears throat> it's the best. Oh, yeah. All right, um, Mark. Do we want to do some uh, phone calls? Some uh, yep. calls from listeners. Let's see what the people have to say. Again, if you want Absolutely. to call us, you certainly can. Nine seven eight five zero four two seven two seven. Day or night, you can give us a call. And we had four of them, so let's let's fire away. Yeah. So, ladies for us always. Um, this is from Maria from Watertown, a constant uh, caller to ninety eight five the Sports Hub. And this is what Maria had to say. Good morning. This is Maria from Watertown. My question is, after a disappointing finish to a season where the Bruins clearly went all in, how does Don Sweeney move forward with a roster that's riddled with unrestricted and restricted free agent contracts, um, having virtually no cap space? What scenarios do you see where he can potentially move forward i'm frankly not interested in another year of let's bring the band back together again because clearly that didn't work so um, i would like to know um who who is an untouchable on the roster and who could potentially be moved in order to put together a championship caliber hockey team for the upcoming season thanks for the time good call by marie there um i i tend to agree with her i mean real quick i would I would take calls on Hampus Lindholm and I know he just signed here and I don't know what his no movement clause situation is, but it's obviously clear that the team is not going to move away from Brandon Carlo. So I would have one or the other there. I think Clifton's going to be too expensive. He should, he should be able to get money. He should be able to get overpaid and I don't want to overpay for Connor Clifton. Um, Orlov's going to get paid. So I, I wouldn't do that. And the only other guy I would consider moving and taking calls on is Taylor Hall. Um, uh, Taylor Hall put himself together in a nice little playoff spot. Again, a guy who's never won anything. Um, maybe now's the time. Maybe that's your your way to clear a little bit of cap space and open up some roster spots is to move a guy like Hall. So, I don't know. There's a little bit for me there, Murray. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I hesitate, hesitate with the characterization that bringing the band back together this year didn't work. I do think it worked. I think it stopped working in the playoffs because of a lot of other things. I still have faith and trust in what getting the guys back together could do and having seen the potential this year, so long as we can learn from our mistakes, because it wasn't a perfect season. Well, it was pretty close to as perfect of a regular season as you can get, but it wasn't perfect. We, we, we were clearly, there were adjustments that could have been made, especially towards the end of the season. Um, so I don't know, for me, I, I, 
I don't entirely, I'm not ready to just completely throw that idea away. Um, I agree. I was, you know, I've been, a, I've, 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 I've gone through my ups and downs of liking Brandon Carlo, but I'm fully back on the Brandon Carlo train. And I agree. I think that um, he's somebody I wouldn't want to lose. Um, you know, I, I do like Lindholm. I don't know what happened in the playoffs. He sucked. He peed um, down his leg. That's what happened. Yeah, quite literally. Yep. Um, and you're right. I, I love Taylor Hall. Don't get me wrong. And what he did in the playoffs was amazing, but I mean, like the rest of the season, I didn't see what we have historically seen for him. So I would take calls on him. I would, um, I, I want so much. I want Tyler Bertuzzi to stay. I do so badly. Um, pretty sure all of Boston would do just about anything to get this guy to stay here. Um, but you're right. There are going to be some players who, are to Connor Clifton. I think you're right. Too expensive. I like, I actually like Clifton a lot. I wish he could stay, but um, no way we keep Orloff. Um, you know, you're right. I would keep, I like Noshek a lot actually. And I think that he is such an underrated or underappreciated player. So I'd love to keep him around if we can keep him for cheap, which I think we maybe could do. Um, so I don't know. I, I see it as a lot of it's dependent upon what does happen with Bergeron and Krejci. Um so as we move forward uh, into the summer and we figure out more, might have a better idea of, of who I'm willing to part with. But I, I agree with you, Steve, about a lot of those. I think that those are fair, fair assessments about who who we can be willing to part with. Uh, for me, I uh, man, it's, it's uh, this is a tough one. But, you know, with the salary cap implications coming up and so on, um, it's it's not going to be easy, but. You know, I would ride the kid line. I would try to get youth. I mean, I think that's what's probably going to happen. I think you might see a John Beach here come up if they, if, if you know, if, if uh, Batuzzi doesn't want to come back for a price that they're offering and those talks are over, um, you know, you, you do have to look at your developing, uh, developing youth at a low cap hit to make these, uh, you know, to fill out a roster. And I don't think it would be a bad idea. I'm not saying get rid of Batuzzi. I would love to keep him. I think he's, uh, you know, an asset and, and has been since day one of that trade, uh, even into his first uh, time ever in the playoffs. Um, but there's, there's so many things that have to be considered in this question as well. Uh, but I would if there's an opportunity, I would like to see a youth line, you know, some McLaughlin. big that is a McLaughlin, yeah, McLaughlin Beecher, McLaughlin. you know, Lysel, maybe, maybe, you know, I, I know. And, and Merkulov maybe, but I don't want to see Merkulov at a fourth line center role. I think right. Beecher is more fit for that type of role because of his size, his range, and his stride, and so on. Merkulov is very offensively gifted, and so on. But I think that his offensive uh, prowess would would happen more on a higher line. If there's an opportunity for him to secure a higher line, then go for it. But I wouldn't. If you're going to put him in a fourth line center, put him in in Providence for another year. Um, yeah, so I, I to answer Marie's uh, Maria's question, I would uh, ride youth and and go from there because it might not have worked in the past consistently, but you do have to give these uh, other players a, an opportunity, and you never know. Just like this season, we never knew what this Boston Bruins team could do without McAvoy, Grizzlick, Marshan, and so on to start the year, and then boom, we were like, oh my god, we're we're off and running. We're winning the cup after five games. I'm um, sorry. I was just looking it up. Uh, another guy you, you might lose who would be a nice cheap option is Lauko. Cause I believe Lauko will be a, I think he's got think one he's year got left. One, I think so. Yeah, I believe so, so. 
you know, when you're talking about filling out the bottom of your roster with guys that are affordable, you know, a 24 year old Jacob Lauco might be, uh, you know, even if he's not playing, he's going to be your, 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 your ninth floor guy waiting for the opportunity to play. So just another yep. thing yeah. to throw in there. Yeah. And right. I like Lauco. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah not, uh, he doesn't like Mark. <laughs> we, we all like him. <laughs> yeah. He, he calls me all no. Cause I, I call, I said he was a healthy scratch and he was all, all wrong. <laughs> All no, wrong, all no, all no. All that's no. what he called oh. me. Yeah, um, I, I fumbled the ball on that one, but he called me out. Oh well, life goes on. He called you out. He did um, too. I think I he even set up him. a Twitter account. I think he even set up a Twitter account about me. All no. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. So the next one in line is Sharon Dietz from South Boston. Hey, Mark. It's uh, Sharon uh, calling from uh, the South End, Boston. And um, one of my uh, biggest questions is, um, what is your confidence level in Montgomery moving forward as the coach of the Bruins? Um, I know it's a hard question to kind of ask, given the amazing season that the Bruins had. But, I mean, based on the postseason and his decisions during that playoff run it's like i i don't know i'm mean, like i have some big questions and and you know if you look back on the season and there were so many times where he was asked about you know his coaching and whatever and so many times he just said oh i you know i i don't even have to coach this team like oh i have such great leadership in that room it's like so I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little concerned, actually, to be honest. And I would love to get your take on that. So that would be my biggest question going into um, the season moving forward, especially if they don't have Bergeron and Krejci. I mean, I think Bergeron is probably like the biggest question. Like, if they don't have Bergeron, like, what kind of coaching style and management style do you do you think? Montgomery's going to have. Um, so that's it. Thanks, guys. Bye. I do have to shout out Sharon for the uh, for the, uh, that mentioned narrative. Um, yeah, I, I kind of cherry picked that from her earlier. I thought it was online, but uh, I heard it on the uh, on the audio. No, I, I think that that's a you know, I think that's a good point. I, I'm not ready. I I completely agree. Mishandling of the playoffs. Really pissed at Jim Montgomery angry angry um but he you know we can't forget that just like we've been saying like he is a young coach in the league you know he's had a little bit of head coaching experience a little bit of you know assistant coaching experience but this was like this was big this was his huge to come in very little experience especially compared to the guy the guys that he's facing day in and day out um and to do what he did was really incredible and I do credit him a lot for it for changing the way that the the locker room worked and um I loved Bruce Cassidy but I think that what Jim Montgomery did was huge so I'm not I need to know that he's going to learn from what happened which I don't love all the quotes that he's given so far doesn't I don't totally feel like he has but maybe with some time and reflection he will so it is a concern I'm worried about are we going to get back to the playoffs next year and be in exactly the same scenario but I'm not ready to give up on him or you know, throw everything that he did do well this season out the window. But, and and true, I think that that's a totally valid concern about 
you know, how will things change in the locker room uh, leadership wise if Bergeron and Krejci don't come back? Um, you know, will Jim Montgomery sort of have to take on a little bit more? I, I think that I think that that's a valid concern too, but I'm, I'm ready to continue to trust him so long as, you know, we see the adjustments being made that we didn't see in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and Nick Foligno said the same thing in his exit interview was this is a, you know, it sucks that we got booted out of the first round after a great year, but this is also a learning. This is a learning curve for us to be better moving forward. And if, even if Nick Foligno comes back, um, that remains to be seen, but, you know, um, but that extends to coaching as well. Not only are you going up and down your lineup trying to figure out what the freak happened to this team, you know, it, it's the uh, it's the coaching as well. They have to like look at this and say, we need to do something differently moving forward because if we have another year like this, um, the expectations are uh, for us are going to fail when we get to the postseason, and that just can't happen. That just can't happen. You have to be better prepared. Uh, during, uh, you know, the, the latter parts of the year to find consistency that you're going to get throughout a playoff run and run with that. Um, and maybe uh, during that time, try to figure out other ways of, of creating holes and exposing other teams by doing using different personnel. The freaking lineup is so filled with versatile players. You know, I just can't figure out why the chemistry can't be figured out elsewhere when, um, when situations happen like this, but just, uh, just you know, ultimately the changing of thinking when you get to this time of the year because I don't want to see this happen again. Yeah, as as much as I banged on on um, Cassidy of uh, Cassidy on um, on Monty, I because I think that he is the reason, the biggest culprit for the failure. Like I said earlier, I don't want to retread. I don't want you know some guy who's on his thirteenth team. You know, uh, the guy who just got ousted for the Rangers. Um, you know, the uh, Laviolettes, La like, I don't want those guys. I Darryl do think, uh, yeah, Dar- right. I, I don't want those guys, but um, I do want him to find, maybe find himself some better assistants that have been around the block a little bit. And like, I'm just, I was just flipping through like, like Rick Tockett's the head coach in Vancouver. Mike Yeo is the assistant. Like that's a great assistant coach to have. John Stevens is the head assistant for Bruce Cassidy in Vegas. That's a great assistant coach to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scott Arneal is a great assistant coach to have. So um, there are guys out there that have been around um, that I just think would make really good assistant coaches for a under experienced head coach. And I think that that to me is a big thing is having somebody in there um, that's kind of been around a little bit. So that, yep. that I hope that answers your question out there in the South Southie. And uh, the next one up is Caroline with a K and uh, she's an amazing person always on the discord. We do have a discord server. Like I said, link is in the description and uh, but here's Caroline and her thoughts. Hey guys, it's Caroline from Albany. Uh, A bunch of us in the discord channel have been having some really great debate about the point where we each think things went wrong for the bees in the series and some alternative decisions that could have been made or should have been made uh, by the coaching staff along the way. For me, it was not being more aggressive with some risk-taking in Game 6, particularly around goaltending. I could argue probably either way about if Allmark should or should not have started that game, but I certainly think he should have been pulled earlier in the night. Um, Curious to hear your opinions and where you land on uh, the debate. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. 
Thank you, Caroline, with a K. Love that. Um, I, I mean, I'll just say real quick, game six, it, it all happened so fast. It seemed like the minute the Bruins would score, Pitt, Florida would score 20 seconds later. It was like they didn't even have a chance to to breathe. Um, uh, you know, Pasternak took a big hit in game one. You know, Garnett Hathaway getting uh, getting checked down from behind was just not the same player after that. So, you know, and again, putting guys like Forbert in the lineup way too early when they wasn't ready. Like, it to me, it just seemed like a comedy of errors throughout um, that all led up to game seven and the way the way it, tra- it transpired. But again, for me, um, game four, not playing Swayman. And it's a game that they won. They scored six goals. Goaltending didn't matter. They could have put Mark Allred in goal, and they probably still would have won the thing. They scored six. So that was your game to play Swayman and get him going. And they didn't do it. He comes in, you know, fresh as a baby's bottom in game seven, lets up a couple softies over the shoulder, and and good night. So to me, that was the biggest regret was not going Swayman game four. And the game they won. All right, the last one. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, no, I was going to say, yeah, I I don't think there's anything else you can point to that that better epitomized, you know, the failures of of the playoffs than the goalie situation all around. So definitely think that's the way that's, that would be my answer too. (laughs) Very true. And the final one is from our own Mike Sullivan from the something brewing hockey podcast on the BNG podcast network. Uh, Shout out Mike. Thank you very much for the call. And here he is. Mark, Steve, it's uh, Mike Sullivan here. Obviously a disappointing end to what was a historic, unbelievably fun run for the Bruins. Looking back in hindsight, what do you think could have been done differently? Do you look at the goalie rotation and maybe utilize that a little bit more? Uh, I don't know. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, thanks. Bye. Yeah, goaltending. It's it's all around goaltending and that decision. It's got probably going to be the narrative all summer. Um, but and, yeah, Mike, it, I mean, so many things could have been done differently and we talked about it throughout the program. So hopefully you're listening, uh, to this, uh, up to this point, because we did touch on a lot of the things that you, you, I know that you're addressing because I see your interactions on Twitter and some of your frustrations that you, you express on the something brewing hockey podcast, which I highly recommend because him and uh, Nick Melanson do a fantastic job over there. So subscribe and follow those guys. Um, but yeah, no, I understand. And, and, it, and, goaltending is like I said, goaltending is probably going to be the biggest issue, but I mean, if you wanted to dissect other things, there's so many things that could have, could have been brought up that, that ultimately um, had this team fail in the first round. Yeah. And I was going to say, who would have thought, I mean, like who would have thought that it was going to be goaltending was going to be the problem in the, in the playoffs. Like that felt like in my mind, that was the last thing that I was worried about. Yeah. You know, they aren't as seasoned as a lot of, you know, Jonathan quick or a, even a, I mean, obviously Bobrovsky, but I don't know. I felt so good about our goaltending all year that it just like, it wasn't even a concern for me. Maybe Jim Montgomery was having the same thought process that it just didn't even like feel like it'd be an issue. So I don't know. It's hard to to look back and think that, man, the fact that that was such a huge part of the downfall, it feels so poetic in a bad way. So I don't know, tough to, tough to swallow. And, and I think we've, hit home that we could talk about it for hours about the frustrations surrounding the goaltending situation. Yeah. So. And I want to, I want to put a caveat on that too. And a little disclaimer, because when we say goaltending was the issue, um, it was the way the goaltending was handled. The, yeah. the yes. real issue was that the defenseman couldn't stay out of the box. Hampus Lindholm couldn't help himself, but flip the puck out of bounds for no reason and sit for two minutes. 
the fact that Dmitry Orlov continued to pass the puck directly to Florida Panthers players in front of their own net. So it wasn't just and, that the, Oh, go ahead. And he was the most successful freaking point scorer on the back end, which is oddly freaking weird that he gives up the puck but gets these points. So, yeah, so it wasn't like the goalies just sucked and let in softies. The, the defense, the, the, if we look at the personnel, the number one problem was the defense. Um, yep. The goal to way goaltenders goaltending situation was handled wasn't well, but the defense themselves starts with Lindholm and work your way down. And I think the only guy that's excluded from that is McAvoy, who I thought was an absolute beast. I think, yep. and, and again, Carlo was fantastic, uh, but everybody else that got into that rotation was incredibly underwhelming. Let their goalie out to dry, um, didn't hold up their end of the bargain, and that's why I think everyone's talking about the goaltending is because the defense was so. But even McAvoy, a, a great player like McAvoy, probably your freaking team's freaking captain in the future, played a great season, was an absolute truck, laying out hits and so on, and just trying his best. But there was points in the in, in that series towards uh, the end where you knew that he was trying so hard, he just didn't have enough in him because he wasn't getting the, the work from other players around him. You know, it's just, uh, oh, that was a tough one. Well, this was quite the post-mortem. Uh, this is uh, something you probably won't want to repeat at a funeral, but uh, I think we, <laughs> we did a good job of getting through it. Um, as Mark mentioned a little bit, and even off the air to us, I think we're going to take the next couple weeks here and and spend more of our time there looking ahead. And I know a lot of people, rightfully so, are looking at the rosters and saying, okay, well, what's next? Like, let's put this behind us. What's next? Um, this is us putting it behind us. We'll spend the next couple of weeks sort of looking ahead at what's next and what are some of the options are. Again, it's always tricky when you're waiting on players to make decisions about their future. Like if we just knew what the deal was with Krejci and Bergeron, it would be so much easier for us to put together yeah. a, a mock, you know, situation for next year, but we don't. So, um, you know, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks here sort of uh, going through it, figuring it out, taking a look across the league, look at what some of the options are. Um, looking at what might be some potential trade partners. We did a little bit of that today, but looking at some of the p- possible options for some of our guys and see if, see if we can help the people out a little bit. I think that's what we're here for. We're like, we're like a, a walking Bruins PSA. We're an equal opportunity uh, group here. So um, oh, speaking, speaking of equal opportunity, I just want to get to Nick Tedesco's uh, hashtag ask BNG. Oh, gotcha. is it Bergeron's Bergeron seemed to get injured the most important parts of the season if he decides to come back next year, do you give him more rest for a deeper playoff run? Hashtag ask BNG. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You like uh, just watch his minutes, shelter him. If you have to uh, do whatever you have to do to keep him healthy and raise that cup uh, at the end of next season. I'd love to see it. Wishful thinking, obviously, but still. Even Krejci. If Krejci's like, I don't want to, I'm not sure what I want to do. I'd be like, call us in March. Yeah, <laughs> call us in March. We'll take you in March. We don't need you. To fr- just call us in March. Call he gets bored. He gets bored exactly. by So, so just call us in March. And before we end up, Steve, I do want to talk about a Patreon account. Uh, we we I don't have one now because I uh, they're all shipped. So I got to reorder some more. So um, uh, we do have a Patreon account, and you can win uh, hand signed jerseys from either an alumni member or a current Bruins player. It's only a dollar per episode. So every time we sit here as a group. And talk Bruins, it's only $1. And uh, what we do is we pay, we take that half of your uh, financial support 
and we pay the bills here at the BNG Sports Media Company. And we also take the other half to buy these jerseys. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Cody Stevens won this jersey from Jerry Chivas, a hand-signed jersey, Hall of Fame 1985, with a JSA um, fully authenticated. But, uh, yeah, you could win one of these every month. Um, we'll be getting some more of these jerseys from Boston Sports and Music Memorabilia, Bruce Sullivan. So uh, jump on board. That is patreon.com slash black and gold hockey podcast. Uh, Grace, great job today. Again, it's uh, nice to have you on board. It's fantastic. Love Welcome. a three-person show. Um, and uh, for those of you who uh, want to follow Grace, you can do that if you're not watching on YouTube. Uh, at G Robs G G R O B S eight seven six five one. So feel free to give Grace a follow. Uh, great stuff got down there in North Carolina via Maine with a, with a pit stop in Ann Arbor. So you got to love that. Um, yes. And uh, you know, one more shout out to our friends at Oh no, Stevie, what'd you do? Our friends at FanDuel FanDuel dot com slash Boston. You can sign up today and get. I believe it is a no sweat bet on the NBA. Uh, Ten dollar deposit gets you a thousand dollars in free bets if you lose. I think Something so. Like that so I don't uh, have it in front of me. <laughs> I, I I don't know what happened. Um, but FanDuel.com slash Boston. Uh, we're happy to have FanDuel be part of the FanDuel network, and uh, yeah, use that promo code and have fun. Great, great chemistry, and uh, really enjoyed uh, the welcome official welcoming to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast of Grace Roberts. So we look forward to talking to you in the upcoming weeks, years, hopefully, as uh, we see uh, you uh, try to gain the success as a, as a sports me- as sports agent. So, uh, Yes, wonderful. I'm super excited. Inside. Always, always a blast. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thanks again for tuning in and supporting this week's episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating and write a review on listening platforms such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show for advertising opportunities or to send us a question or topic idea we should be discussing, please send us an email to blackandgoldproductionsllc at gmail.com. Don't forget to share our program on your social media platforms with other hockey fans and follow our Twitter accounts at Black and Gold Pod, at BNG Productions, at Black and Gold 277, and at Kevin underscore O'Keefe 89. Also, please don't forget to check out our official blackandgoldhockey.com website where we cover the Bruins organization from the NHL level down to the prospects worldwide. Peace out. Peace out.